LA Metro Magazine podcast is here to bring you the entertaining, informative, and inspiring stories of the people who live, work, and play in the greater Lucent Auburn, Maine area. I'm your host, Colby Michaud. Today, we sit down with Ray Michaud, the site coordinator for Veterans Inc. in Lewiston. We chat about his military experience and living in Northern Maine, deployments overseas, and we dive into his current role and how he's affecting the lives of homeless veterans in this area. This is LA Metro Magazine Podcast, Episode 6. Hello, Ray. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, no problem. So we are sitting at your office at Veterans Inc. in Lewiston, Main Street in Lewiston. Could you talk a little bit about what Veterans Inc. is? Absolutely. Uh, we are here in Lewiston, 393 Main Street, Lewiston. It is the old St. Joe's Catholic School, uh, for those of you that know Lewiston. Um, and Veterans Inc., uh, we're a nonprofit agency, and we came to Maine. We're, we're based out of Worcester, Massachusetts, and uh, we came to Maine... Uh, about six years ago, and we were doing uh, employment and training for homeless veterans. Uh, and at the time, Veterans Inc. had already had their eyes on this building and were started the renovation project. And then when they completed the project in January of 2015, uh, they needed a site coordinator to uh, operate it. And uh, I was already in town working with Veterans Inc., so... Um, I was an easy, it was an easy transition for me. Yeah, and we'll come back to what that means, being site coordinator for this facility. But I think it'd be important to give a little bit of background to who you are. And for, you know, full disclosure, you are my father. So I just want, you know. And, and you are my son. That is true. So let's, uh, let's go back in time. Um, your father, yeah, yeah, served in the military, Air yep. Force as well. Yeah, so you're 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 Pepe. Um, yes, he was a 20 year um, career in the Air Force and uh, served um, all over the all over the world. Um, uh, he was his actually his first assignment was to Clark Air Force Base or Clark Air Base in the Philippines and that's where he met your Lola my mom and uh, he had a they had a short tour there they came back to the States he was stationed in uh, Vandenberg California uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base in California that was in 1965 and then that's where I came along and from there uh, different Places that we've lived, he was stationed. Uh, he was stationed in Alaska, North Dakota. Uh, he actually went back to Clark Air Base in the Philippines. Uh, so I got to live over there, and that's where your uncle, my brother, was born. He was um, he was born over there in the Philippines. And then when we came back to the states, uh, we went to uh, Loring Air Force Base in Limestone. So that would have been in the mid 70s, and then. From Limestone, um, we were stationed down just down the road here at uh, Pease Air Force Base in Portsmouth. Uh, we were there for four years, and 
uh, he was getting close to the end of his uh, service. His 20 years was coming up, um, and they brought him back up to Limestone. Um, and then he did like a, a year or two there. And uh, in 1981, 1981, 1982, he retired, and then that's when the whole family moved here to Lewiston. Why? And so why Lewiston? I mean, so Pepe was from... Um, yep, Pepe was that. born in Van Buren, but his family moved from Van Buren down to Lewiston when he was just a little boy. Uh, and that's where the whole family has been uh, here in Lewiston. So, so when during our Air Force time, whenever we came home on leave and on vacation, it was always here to, to Lewiston. So Lewiston is, even though we've been away for, for many, many years, Lewiston's always been home. And then, so you went to Lewiston High School. I did. I did my last two years of my high school career at Lewiston High School. And then uh, after I graduated, uh, I went to uh, Husson College. It was Husson College back in those days. And uh, after my first year there, um, you know, back in those days, the, the grades came home in the mail. So I didn't have an opportunity to intercept my grades before my dad opened the mail and found out how horrible my grades were. So we had a little bet. If uh, I went back my sophomore year to Husson, if I didn't get my grades up, um, I would leave Husson and I would enlist in the Air Force. So, <laughs> sure enough. Um, Welcome uh, to the military. Yeah. Yeah. So, I did one more semester um, at Husson. Grades were just, uh, I just, I just wasn't mature enough to handle uh, college on my own. Um, so, I... Uh, I held up my end of the deal and said, okay, uh, maybe the military life is for me. So I went in the Air Force in 1985. 1985. I think we might be missing a, a small but important piece of the story. In, in high school, you met somebody that's very important to, <laughs> to my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so in high school... Oh my gosh, this, this is a crazy story. So, but just to keep it short, uh, in high school, I met uh, a girl. Uh, her name was Debbie Costello. Um, her folks were also in the service. And in fact, our mothers were friends. They were friends at uh, up in Loring, up in Limestone. They used to go to aerobics classes together. Um, and even more strange than that is... When we were in Limestone, um, Debbie and I used to babysit the same kids from the same family. Uh, there was this triangle of friends. Um, and if, if, if uh, I was not available to babysit, they would call Debbie and vice versa. And, um, and we didn't know each other back then. We did not meet until we came here um, and, uh, and met in high school. Isn't it true that because uh, Pepe and Lola, uh, Ray and Frankie Michaud, lived just up the hill from the old McDonald's on Lisbon Street at the time. Right. Um, didn't both uh, Lola, right. your mother, and mom's mother work yeah. at the same McDonald's? They worked at the same... In fact, I did as well. Uh, when I was um, on school break um, and before I... 
joined the Air Force, uh, I, I did. I was employed at McDonald's. So I worked there with Lola, your mother, and with, <laughs> with Gail, um, your grandmother on, on your mom's side. So, uh, and, and that's when, and that's when, you know, essentially we met and basically our moms sort of set us up, uh, and it's history. So back to Hassan, bad grades, then enlist in the air force. Yes. So why, why air force? Well, obviously, uh, I, I had, um, you know, being an Air Force brat, uh, growing up as a child in the Air Force, um, I, I, I clearly saw the way of life, and, um, you know, it was really, really what I wanted to do. Um, in fact, uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up in the Air Force, um, you know, when I got older into sports, there's a, you know, there's an organization within the Air Force, and back in those days, it was called MWR, Morale, Welfare, and Recreation. And that organization within the Air Force took care of all the fun things on base, all the sports activities, all the recreation activities um, for all the Air Force personnel and their families. So I got to partake in all of those activities. So when I finally decided, okay, I'm gonna do this Air Force thing, that's the career field I wanted to go into. And, uh, and, and, and that's what I got. Um, I was able to, um, I went to boot camp, uh, like we all do in the Air Force in San Antonio, Texas. And then my first duty station was actually uh, Loring Air Force Base uh, up in Arusta County. And that's what I was doing. I was working in the base gymnasium, the base fitness center, running fitness programs and running sports programs. And was that uh, services uh, squadron? Is that what it was called? So uh, the, those those days, early in my career... Um, We're talking about early... This was in 1985, probably okay. 19... When you came along in, in 1990, um, we were... That career field was still, like I said, MWR. So okay. as morale, welfare, and recreation. The Air Force has another piece of... Uh, um, another career field, and it's called the services career field. And that career field had food services and lodging. And what the Air Force did in the early 90s is they combined all of them. Mm-hmm. So um, so that means when you were in that career field, you could be working in the base fitness center, or you could be working in the base dining facility, or you could be working in the base uh, lodging facility, which is like our temporary lodging hotel type activities. So, so True story, when I was stationed in March Air Force Base in California, um, by that time I had been in the Air Force for 10 years. I'd been just about half of my career. And um, I was working, I was the NCOIC, the uh, non-commissioned officer in charge of the fitness center on base. And I remember one, it was like a Thursday or Friday afternoon, my, base, my, my commander called me up and he said, Ray, he says, you know, for you to progress in this services, now this is services career field, you need to broaden your horizons. You need to do other things other than just fitness because up until that point, that's all I have done is fitness and recreation. He said, you need to, to broaden your career. You need food service or you need some lodging. I said, okay, I, I, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. So true story, I literally went from a Friday afternoon, my last day of work at the fitness center, Monday morning, I reported 
to the base dining facility. I had no food experience, but suddenly I was a shift leader because of my rank, um, being a staff sergeant at the time. I was in charge of four or five um, young airmen, and uh, you know, and, and that's what we were to do is to, to provide, provide meals for the, the um, members on base. Is it true that every, every base has its own mission or its own purpose or specific uh, focus? Yes. Um, Do you remember what Loring Loring was, was definitely, yes. That was a, a strategic air command during my time in the, in the Air Force, uh, strategic air command. And if there's any old timers uh, listening, you know what this is, uh, SAC, okay, strategic air command. And um, uh, these, for instance, Loring had the B-52s, all right? We were the, uh, we had the, the B-52s and we had tankers, um, the air refueling um, aircraft, so that when they launched those B-52s, as soon as they launched them, they would refuel them so that these B-52s could spend hours and hours in the air without landing and getting fuel. A B-52 is a bomber. A bomber, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, shortly after I came around, um, Loring closed. That is correct. Uh, Loring, which is why we had to go right. to. So Loring was uh, on the chopping block. I think that was right around 1993-94 time frame, and um, you know, at that point, we had been. You were there. We had been at Loring for about ten years, and. So, you know, when they finally decide they're closing the base, we need to start shipping these military members out of here and sending them to different bases. Since I was one of the ones that was at that base for so long, we were, we were like on that first wave um, to, to leave the base. Uh, it was sort of the uh, uh, first in, you know, first out uh, yeah. kind of thinking. Um, so uh, we, we left early on. As uh, soon as the base closure uh, started happening, we were we were like one of the first out of there. Can you talk a little bit about your tours of duty? Sure. So you You've know, been Loring, away a couple times. Yeah. So Loring, um, you know, having been at Loring for ten years, uh, was really great because for one thing, we were close to home. Um, you know, all the family was still here. Uh, we were only five or six hours away, um, and. Um, but during that time, you know, I did get to travel. Uh, you know, I wasn't just stuck stu- stuck there. Uh, I had a couple of uh, TDYs, temporary duties, um, out in uh, RAF Fairford in England, and um, uh, and that was our during that time. Uh, that was when uh, the uh, Gulf the Gulf War hit. So. Um, you know, and, and Loring, Loring's aircraft were a huge part. Uh, any history buffs out there, when you think about um, the Gulf Storm, um, the, uh, that, that Desert Storm War, uh, that initial, that first night of the bombing that took place, those B-52s were the B-52s. Uh, some of them, I think there was, a, there was a combination, but some of them were actually Loring B-52s that made those initial bombing runs. And uh, we were deployed at Diego Garcia during that time frame. 
uh, in the Indian Ocean and, and there for six or seven months. And your, your mission there was? Again, we were, we were MWR, so that's what we did. We provided um, services, uh, you know, recreation-type services for all the troops, and there were lots of them. We had to have brought in like 5,000 um, troops, um, you know, to support all the aircraft that came um, with us. And this yeah. is multi-branch, right? This isn't just Air Force. It was. It was. Pr- it was primarily Air Force. There. There are some. There were some other branches, like uh, um, the the Navy. Actually, is uh, that that that's that was at the time their their home base. Uh, they used that for the fleet. Uh, Navy ships would come into Diego Garcia and and do some stops, and they would take a little R and R. But uh, the um, the uh, the mission from Diego was primarily Air Force uh, flying um, uh, those those bombing missions mm-hmm. out of there, and uh, and that's what we did. Like I said, we uh, we set up um, some at the time. There were very unique uh, recreational activities. Um, you know, we were using uh, a lot of tent type facilities, canvas type tents for our. We would set up like a, a lounge, uh, like a, a, a sort of a bar and. Um, stack bar area for the troops. Um, we would have uh, like areas. Uh, something unique that we did was we set up a little little um, recording studios, and we had this huge library. CDs were just becoming big in those days, and we we actually got a huge donation from Memorex. These cassettes, well, cassettes was still big, but CDs were starting to come online. So we allowed uh, troops to come in and make recordings of CDs on, on cassettes so they could have all this free music. That was, that was the, the free music back in those days. No Spotify No Spotify, then. no. Um, uh, so that was unique to us. And then another thing that we did, uh, I, I believe it was Sony. Sony sent us, I mean, cases and cases, hundreds of cases of blank videotapes. And they were like 30-minute long blank videotapes. And we... We purchased, um, I don't know, we had maybe like 10 video cameras, and we set up little studios, and we would lo- allow uh, troops to record video messages, you know, and then send those tapes back home to the loved ones. And then we also did sporting, you know, just like we did at our regular bases. We, we, uh, we uh, organized and ran intramural sporting events, you know, softball, flag football, basketball, all of those sporting events that the troops need um, to get out and have some fun. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people don't realize how much how much is needed on the support end of it. You know, you see you see the the clips in the media that the troops on the front lines, but there's so much required to support those troops the, the on the support, ground. Yeah, is incredible. There, there, yeah, it really is. Um, and and what was what was really neat i'll never forget this is early on uh, you know so we deployed uh was it august time frame and so that was early on in this de- deployment and you know the first couple of months were setting up the bases and getting the tents built and just all the infrastructure stuff and then there was a there was a period where we were all set up but nothing was really happening in the world as far as the the actual conflict and 
uh, during that time frame, we were busy. I mean, we were, um, we had uh, we had uh, trips and tours. We had this uh, trips and tours set up where at the very edge of the island was this old coconut plantation. And we would set up a cooler, you know, um, a bunch of guys would, would come to us and we would pack them a cooler with burgers and all the things for a, like a barbecue. And we would send them off with a vehicle and give them directions out to this this beautiful isolated beach on the corner in the very back corner of this island and they would spend the day there and um, we had you know obviously in the middle of the ocean we had uh, a water recreation activity so we had some some small uh, like uh, boats and, and things like that guys can use uh, and, and play around the water uh, and like I said, all the sporting activities. So there, were, oh, snorkeling. That was that was one of the things that we did. We had snorkeling gear. So gearing up for this, it, we were busy all the time. We're like, oh my gosh, nobody works around here. Everybody's just come to us. And well, right before we didn't know this was happening, but right before that bombing run, you know, that early January, I forget, I can't remember the exact date. Um, but we noticed a few days before that, all of a sudden, people stopped coming to us. We're like, what the heck is going on, you know? And sure enough, um, I'll never forget the night that those planes launched. We were sitting out outside outside our tent. Beautiful night. It was a warm breeze. And we could hear the engine starting to run up out on the flight line. And those B-52s, again, if you know any, uh, if you're a history buff and you know those B-52, in, B-52 engines have, have a very uh, distinct sound, um, we could hear them running their engines. We're like, what the heck is going on? And, um, you know, an hour later or so, you can hear them, you actually see them launch. They had, they took off in, in darkness, no lights on, but you could see their afterburners just glowing as they departed. And we thought, what the heck, Some, what, this is not right, something's going on here. And sure enough, it was the next morning when we saw it on CNN that the war had started and those B-52s had just um, did those bombing runs. Hmm. It's interesting you didn't know that was going to be happening. Didn't didn't, didn't know. No. But now looking back, we, we kind of saw the signs because people stopped coming to right. our activities. Right. We all know that exercising regularly is beneficial in so many ways. So why don't we always get around to doing it? Hi, I'm Nicole, Association Director of Health, Wellness and Fitness at the YMCA of Auburn Lewiston, here with some tips to get you moving. The recommended amount of physical exercise is 30 minutes a day, five days a week. You can break it up into three 10-minute sessions if you need to. It can help reduce the risk of chronic disease, control weight, improve mental health, and reduce stress. You can keep it simple. An outdoor jog, bike ride, yoga, or even a brisk walk has its rewards. Exercising can promote better sleep quality and relaxation while boosting energy levels. It is also good for your muscles, bones, memory, and brain function. The bottom line is that physical exercise offers incredible benefits that can improve nearly every aspect of your health from the inside out. It is good for your mind, body, and spirit. For more health and wellness tips and to learn more about the YMCA of Auburn-Lewiston, visit us online at alymca.org or stop by and see us. So, I mean, obviously, you could spend hours and hours talking about the career, your career in the Air Force. You, you know, you've been to a lot of different bases, but since we have limited time on this 
show. I think we should circle back to where we are today. Yeah. In Lewiston and Veterans Inc. Yep. And um, maybe we could start with what is a veteran? What what does that mean? I mean, it's, you know, if you look into the dictionary, it simply means someone who served in the military. But I'm sure with anybody's experience with if they know a veteran, um, you know, that that definition is expanded upon. Right. Well, I, I, how about this? So from my point of view, so I'm the site coordinator here for, for Veterans Inc. And um, so we have this program where we offer transitional housing for homeless veterans. Okay. So for a homeless veteran, when we start looking into their 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 history and to verify that they are in fact a veteran, all we're looking for is one day of active duty service and uh, as long as they are uh, they don't have a bad conduct discharge. There's there's, there's a few uh, categories of uh, discharge. Um, bad, bad conduct being uh, the worst, I think, is bad conduct or dishonorable. So whatever the worst is, you know, obviously somebody like that would not be eligible for our program. Now, they're still considered a veteran, but not necessarily um, eligible for our, our program. All right? So for our program, you know, one day of active duty. Uh, where that gets tricky sometimes is sometimes you have uh, uh, a veteran. They're still a veteran uh, in, in other eyes, but they they were reservist or they were guard, and they only went to basic training and they were never activated. They were just always on reserve status or guard status and never activated. Uh, somebody like that would not be eligible for our program. Uh, and then some other VA benefits as well. So yeah, so when you start talking about the Veterans Administration, you know, Veterans Inc., and just other veterans, there are many, many, there could be many different um, uh, definitions of a veteran. Right, and they come in uh, all shapes and sizes and ages. Oh, absolutely. Um, here in Lewiston, you have a, obviously you're limited by the facility to your capacity of how many you can help. Um, is there any plan to expand that, or what? What can can you do here? As a matter of fact, yeah. Um, so when we first opened back in January of 2015, we opened up with 20 rooms. So right now, I have 20 rooms here. And when they were doing that renovation project, uh, there was there were four classrooms. Uh, that didn't. Or actually, it was two classrooms. It was two classrooms because there's a a classroom makes up two rooms for a vet. So there were two classrooms that didn't quite get finished in a renovation project. So uh, it's funny you brought that up because uh, coming this October, so we should, we're going to be starting to look around for contractors in the area that want to finish. I have four rooms upstairs that are maybe at 20% completion. There's, there's, all there is is frame. Uh, wall frames. There's no walls up. There's no electricity. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But um, the, we just were awarded a grant, and we want to have those rooms occupied by October. So we'll our, our capacity will be up to 24 okay. by October. So you can add four more. Yep. 
And what is it like for someone that gets into the program? What is a, a typical day like for so, someone here? Yeah, so our veterans, when, they, when our veterans come in, uh, they know right off the bat that this is transitional housing. This is not permanent housing. This is nobody's forever home. Um, and we work closely with the VA. It's, it's, it's basically a VA-funded program. And the VA, um, they, have, uh, they have like a 90-day, you know, they're, they're hoping to get these veterans housed within 90 days. Okay, that's the ultimate goal. When they, when they first come in here, we're trying within 90 days to get them housed. Now, some of them, some of them can do it, depending on their income, depending on uh, if they can get hooked up with a... Um, uh, uh, a HUD-VASH voucher from the VA, if they can get hooked up with Section 8 housing from the state, they can quickly transition into permanent housing. Others, it might take a little bit of time. Um, there might be some barriers here that they have to work through first. And while they're here, those are the things that we work on. For instance, if uh, a veteran is not working but willing and able to work, you know, we have resources where we help them get employed. And then once they start making money, saving money, then they can move on to permanent housing. We have some veterans um, that don't realize that they have VA benefits that they can get, that they're eligible for. So when they come in, you know, we'll help them apply for the VA benefits and they may, you know, they may be receiving some compensation later on down the road. So, um, you know, so that's what they're working on. While they're here, like I said, they're not just, you know, they're not just hanging out here and, and waiting. Um, you know, they're, they're working on things uh, to make themselves better. And I imagine there's a pop, the population of eligible veterans exceeds the capacity of this facility in this area. Is there a waiting list here? It, it fluctuates. Um, you know, right now, uh, and I think a lot has to do with the, with the pandemic, uh, I have six openings. Uh, six months ago, we were full. We were full with a waiting list. And, um, and what happened was, you know, the veterans that were here, they were, you know, they had been working on their housing situation and eventually they left. Well, during the pandemic, we had stopped taking intakes, you know, just because of precautions. Um, so it's taken us a while. And I was, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was down to 50% occupancy. Um, but we've had some guys, we're starting to bring guys in. As long as we can get guys uh, a negative COVID test, um, we can bring them in. Um, so we're slowly but surely getting back to our numbers. Um, but, you know, in, in, in the five or six years that we've been open, you know, we've always been full or close to full, uh, usually having a wait list. There are two other programs down in Southern Maine that are very similar to this, and they're, they're always full. Um, so I, I, I think um, I think when we open up the the four additional rooms, um, I don't think we'll be at a point, you know, where we're gonna, um, you know, have have veterans uh, sleeping in their cars because you know we're all filled up. Um, if we have veterans sleeping in their vehicles, it's um, you know it's unfortunate that for some reason they don't want the help, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I think the four rooms is, is going to do us a lot of good. And so if that work can start in October, when are you hoping to be able to open those? Well, up? no, we would actually, we're hoping to be operational in October. Wow. So um, Very soon. we're working with our headquarters office out of Worcester now. Um, we're trying to um, get some quotes 
uh, from local contractors and um, hopefully soon start some construction. The production of this podcast would not be possible without the support of our community partners. One of those just happens to be our sister publication, Uncle Andy's Digest. Uncle Andy's Digest has been woven into the fabric of the greater Lewiston-Auburn community over the last 25 years by providing its readers with humorous one-liners, short stories, and most importantly, positivity. Fun fact, in August of 1996, the first edition of the Digest was printed. That means you can help celebrate 25 years of Uncle Andy's with this month's special 25th anniversary edition. One thing that surprises people to learn is that Uncle Andy's is distributed to 19 cities and towns in the central Maine area. That means whether you're in Sabattis, Auburn, Turner, or Oxford Hills, you can pick up a copy, or two if you're a good neighbor. So if you're a local business that wants more exposure and top of mind awareness, make sure you check out Uncle Andy's Digest. Why not get more exposure for your business while spreading smiles at the same time? Those that do simply say, it works. So specific to this job, what, especially right now, but also thinking to pre-COVID, what are some of the challenges that you face? Yeah, our veterans, um, when I talk to folks about uh, our program here and the veterans that are coming in, uh, something that comes out of my mouth a lot is, our veterans are homeless for a reason. Okay, uh, it could be it could be somebody that has uh, a substance abuse issue. All right, and while they're here, that's we're going to get them help. Um, you know, we can get them to counseling. Uh, in some cases, we can send the veteran to a a uh, a long term domiciliary and then bring them back here. You know, for them to get uh, housed up. Um, you know, we have some veterans that uh, have some mental health uh, issues. You know, it could be anything uh, along the lines of PTSD, uh, depression, anxiety. And then, you know, we have some veterans that have both. Um, you know, so uh, it's, it's about uh, giving them the uh, supports that they need to work through those barriers uh, so they can find housing. You know, every once in a while, we have a veteran just a string of bad luck. Um, you know, lost their job. Um, the, the, the spouse at the time said, "Okay, no job, no money. Okay, you're you're out." And here's a here here's a veteran that all of a sudden is homeless. Um, you know, and, and quite honestly, it's those veterans that uh, are short stays here. Those are the veterans that are gone. Uh, usually back out on their own place, employed within 90 days. Uh, those are the quick turnarounds that we like to see. Um, but, you know, we do have our guys that uh, have issues. And, um, you know, and, and what's great about this program, before this came to Lewiston, you know, if this wasn't here, our veterans would be, uh, at best, staying in a shelter or sleeping in their vehicle or in some cases, and, and I've brought in quite a few guys over the years sleeping outside. Um, so what's nice about this program is they can come in, have a nice room to stay in, 
while they are working on whatever issues that they have, whether it's just finding a job or, you know, going to their um, AA meetings, you know, at, at least they have a place to shower, to sleep at night, and then and then they can... Yeah, you're stay. providing their the foundation Absolutely. so that they can continue to build on top Absolutely. of that. yes. Do you... Does Veterans Inc. partner with any local other local organizations or small businesses in the area to help make those connections well, for them? Yeah, let me let me let me just uh, just as, as you ask that question, just rattle off some things. So we work obviously we work closely with the Veterans Administration. We also work closely with Preble Street, who have they have also um, in Portland. They're primarily based in Portland, but they also have a local office right here in Lewiston as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we work closely with those folks. We work closely with the folks over at the Vet Center over on Westminster. Um, uh, and then, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some, some folks, but uh, for instance, uh, the Big Lot store in, in Auburn, uh, the manager over there, Doug Curtis, really good about uh, during like uh, Veterans Day or around Memorial Day, he'll set up um, uh, programs in his store where people purchase stuff, uh, whether it be deodorant, um, you know, uh, toiletries, uh, bedding for our guys here, and then they bring them over, uh, food items, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there, there are, you know, there are uh, the Trinity. Uh, we we send our folks over to the Trinity. Uh, well, I don't, I don't think it's been happening lately, but um, you know, for the the uh, the food bank over there, uh, the Pathways Vineyard Church, out in outer Lewiston. Um, we have a relationship with them. Our guys go over there once a month to get a, a free bag of groceries. So, yeah, there's um, there are a few people. I'm, I know I'm forgetting some. Um, one of, one of our uh, biggest and uh, only because they're big bucks is the Oxford Casino. Um, every year they do a, a drive and they they toss us a big old pork, poker chip um, that's worth a lot of money. So. Um, that's nice, but it's, uh, you know, and then how about this? How about we have so many local donors, just private people, mm-hmm. um, that I'll meet and they'll say, Hey, what do you need? You know? And one of our biggest needs here is it, would you believe something so simple as a gift card? Um, just the other day, uh, we had a vet move in, no income. Um, he did have food stamps, but he wasn't sure he had been out of the he hadn't been using them in a while. He's been in the hospital for some time, so he didn't know how much he had, wasn't sure how to access it, but he was here now, and he needed to go get food. So um, I happen to have uh, a couple of uh, Walmart gift cards that I was able to give him to, you know, to get him started. So, and those come from private donors. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, somebody might come in and say, hey, what do you need? You know, and I'll say, how about a gift card? And you know, they'll, they'll, they'll give me a couple of Hannaford gift cards or or Walmart gift cards. And the support of the community is really oh, important. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and here, and here's the other thing. Um, when I get to talking to people or somebody's walking by, uh, not so much now because of the pandemic, but it used to be some people would just come up to the door and uh, I'll see them and I'll go greet them and they'll say, what is this? And I'll tell them what it is. And they'll say, well, I never knew you were here. We don't have any signage Okay, we're not trying to advertise that this is a right. that this is transitional. Right. These guys don't want to know that they don't want people to know that, you know, they have they have pride. Um, so I says, well, 
I says, yeah, we're not here. You know, you're not going to find any big signage, you know, on the front door. Uh, I said, but, you know, I'll give them a tour. And, um, you know, this is what we do. And, um, you know, they usually come back with, hey, you know, how about it? And, and some of them will come in with bags of groceries, you know, canned soup. And they ask me, what do you guys need? And I, I always tell them gift cards are good. And then the non-perishable food items, uh, things like that. So, yeah, the support from the community is great. I can imagine that your military experience has led you to this position. Uh, absolutely. Um, can you, what, what can you reflect on from the 20 years you retired as a um, master sergeant? So, you know, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to blurt out my age, but um, a lot of these vets are the same age as I am. Some of them are older. All right, mm -hmm. There's a handful that are younger. Um, and when I say younger, I'm talking 30. So a lot of these vets are, are my age, and you know, we've, we've served at the same time. Um, most of them, you know, not as long as I have. Uh, most of these veterans here have done shorter uh, stints in the military, four years or less. And, um, you know, so right off the bat, we have that in common. We, you know, we both served. So, you know, when they come in and meet me for the first time and I meet them for the first time, right away we already have something in common. Um, so that's nice. And then the other piece that I take away from my time in the service is uh, the, different, um, the different leadership uh, qualities that I've experienced. Because I've had some leaders, some supervisors that I didn't care for. I didn't appreciate their style of leadership. And then I had many others that I loved. And I always told myself, when I become a boss, that's how I want to be. So, um, and then, you know, there, there's also that disciplinary piece. And, um, you know, being a retired master sergeant, you know, I, you know, I can, I don't have a problem. And, and some of them, it, it takes this, you know, you got to put the old boot up the butt. And um, having that experience and, and working with these, these men here uh, it has been very helpful. Yeah, and I, I mean, getting to Master Sergeant is no easy feat. That, that takes a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication. Yeah, it does. Thanks. Um, do you keep in touch with any, any friends from military days? <sighs> Facebook is a wonderful thing. Um, and, and it's primarily... Um, uh, yeah, I, I do have uh, buddies that I, you know, that we stay in touch with, um, you know, that, that we all got out at around the same time, like, you know, within a, um, you know, two or three, four years. Um, I, th I think there's only a, a couple of guys that I knew in the service that are still in. And these guys, you know, they're, they're going for that 30 year uh, you know, wanting to become a chief master, or they are a chief master sergeant, you know, the highest rank you can achieve. And, um, but uh, a lot of the guys that, uh, you know, like at my, oh, 15, 15 year mark on up, you know, a lot of them I can still see them on Facebook. Yeah, so you retired in 2005, right? 2005, yes. So if you had stayed in, if you, you would be, 35 years in? Yeah, well, I would. I think I would have timed out at 30. I think 30 right, is the max. That's the max. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And you know, um, could on, you imagine that on a, on a personal note, um, it, the 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 timing the timing wasn't right for us as a family um, because you figure at the time when I was getting close to my twenty, you and your sister were in high school, and and the world events there was deployments were on the rise many of our friends uh many of your your friends you know if you remember you know the dads were deploying dads were gone um dads and moms were missing the ones that were deployed were missing graduations they were missing all the activities that you know now your high school kids are participating in and um you know and then things that were happening in our family um you know, it, it was it was just a good opportunity to come back east because we were in Texas at the time. It was a good opportunity for us to come back east, and um, I think it was it was a good time for us to get out, get out right at twenty. And uh, you know, obviously, I was still young enough to keep working. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it it was the right choice. I. Obviously, I, I don't look back and, and, and think we didn't make the right choice. Um, but I also know that if we had decided to stay, you know, we would have been just as happy. Um, you know, because the Air Force, it really is. That used to be years ago. I don't think they use that slogan anymore, but they used to say the Air Force, a great way of life. And it, it truly was. Uh, I did it as a kid. Um, I did it as an adult. And um, I really, we really, really enjoyed our, our time in the Air Force. Yes, yes, we did. Yeah, it was, I mean, we moved on average every three years, it mm -hmm. seemed like. Yeah. And right. that was good and bad. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, we made really close friends every time we moved somewhere new, but then we seemed like the next day, basically, we had to say goodbye to them. Yeah. And that was hard. Yeah. But I also think for um, my sister, Brittany, and I, that that experience has really helped shape us yeah. to who we are today. And yeah. I'm really grateful for that. Right. No, that's good. Um, you know, we, everywhere we went, and that was, that was one thing that, uh, that uh, your mother and I really, we were so glad that you and your sister were so close and, and uh, I mean, not only, you know, being 13 months apart, but so close. Uh, we were, you know, best friends. Best friends. Yeah. Because whenever you moved... You know, you guys had always be. had each other. Yeah. Um, and that was always uh, nice to see. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, a, a major factor why we're still such a close yeah. family. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you to the U.S. Air Force. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's going to have, that's about it. We're going to have to wrap it up. But um, thank you for your service. And and for what you do today for veterans and I'm very proud to call you my father. Well, thank you, Colby, and I'm very proud. I never thought I had my own son interviewing me, but uh, I'm very proud of you as well. Um, you're doing a lot of great things in the community uh, for the Lewis and Auburn area and uh, very happy to see that. Appreciate it. All right. My thanks to Ray for sharing his own military experience and his continued work with veterans here in Lewiston-Auburn and for being a great dad. 
A big shout out to the YMCA of Auburn Lewiston and Uncle Andy's Digest for sponsoring this episode. We have many more exciting guests ahead in upcoming episodes, so make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to your other shows. That way you're not missing out on future episodes as they are released. We also want to thank you for listening. You, our audience, are the most important piece of this program. And we know that these recordings are just slices of a bigger ongoing conversation that we want you to be a part of. If you have any thoughts or ideas, please let us know on social media. LA Metro Magazine is on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Connect with us there. Positive vibes and well wishes from all of us at LA Metro Magazine. Until next time, I'm your host, Colby Michaud. Make sure you're being entertained, staying informed, and getting inspired.